everyone, and welcome to the Metacast by Novik, a podcast in which we explore the business of video games. I'm Aaron Bush, co-founder of Novik and your host today, and I'm delighted to be joined by Eric Kress, a brilliant video game industry analyst and principal of Gossamer Consulting Group. Eric, thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. Huge fan of you guys, particularly Lars, who I think is a genius. And every time I listen to him talk about things, I'm, I'm inspired for someone that actually does the work and does the research and reads and understands. So uh, I'm a big fan of you guys. Yeah, well, shout out Lars. We enjoy working with you. Um, but Eric, before we dive in um, into what we discussed today, just for, for those who don't know you, could you tell us a bit more about your background and what kind of work you do at Gossamer? Sure. Um, I've been in the video game space about, I think, 25 years now. Um, I started off in investment banking, but moved into industry pretty quickly. Uh, I think what makes my background a little bit unique compared to most is that I've spent half my career in uh, industry and half my career on sell-side research, so advising hedge funds and others on investments in the publicly traded names and privately traded names for that matter. Um, I spent, what, seven years at EA, two years at uh, Kabam uh, to learn mobile, to get my PhD in mobile. Um, but basically like strategy roles, forecasting roles, biz dev, corp dev, those type of, of, of roles throughout my career there. And then I spent six years at Bay Street Research doing independent research, and I've been the last seven years doing independent research at Gossamer. And what's different about Gossamer is that I'm doing both. So I'm also not only consulting for about my 16, 17 clients on, on the buy side, hedge funds and, and long only, but I'm also consulting for Warner Brothers and Forte, kind of delving into the NFT blockchain space. Um, so it, it keeps me frosty, it keeps me one, one foot in investments and one foot in the industry, which I think gives me a, a unique unique perspective on the industry. Great. Well, today we're going to be talking about a wide range of topics, ranging from big picture industry numbers to specific companies. And, you know, a quick caveat up top that, um, you know, Eric, he's an expert on all of this. We could probably do a whole podcast episode about each of these individual topics, but we're going to try to keep it high high level and, you know, kind of poke in where it's interesting. But I figure since we have Eric on, we should try to cover as much ground as we can. Um, but, you know, given, you know, the state of the market and economy, not everything is necessarily bunnies and rainbows. So I figure before we, we dig into anything that's doom and gloom, uh, let's start on a positive note. Eric, when you look at you know, the business and state of gaming today, what gets you excited? What are you excited about? You know, I have to go back to my traditional roots on this one as I am uh, very, very excited about the next console cycle. I think, uh, I, I still believe that the consoles in general are more recession proof than other industries. And, and there are some concerns about the longer term impact of like, software as a service is revenue, like how is that impacted by a, a, a global recession that's likely gonna happen. But the, conscious, the console cycle has been really, really strong through uh, recessions. I think they grew like at a 10% CAGR over the last two recessions in 08 and 2000, or stock market crashes in that case. Um, and I just don't think the future business is gonna be much impacted by recessions. They're basically on their own, uh, you know, platform cycle is and we are basically at the beginning of a new cycle for both ps5 and xbox C series x and i think that will carry us through for the next 
two to three years. Um, and as we see the supply chain improve for consoles and more software come on board because of all the issues around COVID and, and, and lockdowns created some issues with the software development pipeline, I think it's going to be an amazing cycle, probably the biggest cycle ever for both Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo. So that's what I'm most excited about over the next three to five years. Yeah. Uh, what about on the game side? Are there any games that you're particularly loving these days or looking forward to soon? I'm actually kind of excited, scarily, to see what World of Warcraft comes up with with this next expansion because I've been a fan of World oh. of Warcraft for a long time. Yeah. But uh, in terms of a new game, um, uh, oh my God, I always forget the name of this game, but Bethesda Starlink or whatever, Star, whatever, that game. Starfield. Starfield, sorry. That is the one I'm most excited about. I was really disappointed that they pushed it out until next year. But, um, you know, as long as they come out with something quality, I'll, I'll be happy about that. So that's probably the one I'm most excited about. Yeah, I'm really excited about that too. A little nervous at the scope, but I'm curious to see what they, what they come up with there. Um, but, you know, also, you know, it's been... A year or two since we talked, and we were we were kind of joking before we recorded the last time that uh, we we really discussed anything. <laughs> we were we were talking about skills right before it went public via its back. We've we've seen how that has played out, but <laughs> but really, you know, quite a bit has changed in the industry um, since then. And so I'm curious over that time, uh, what have you changed your mind on? Like, how have you evolved as an analyst in your thinking over the past couple of years? You know, I I would say that. The, the, the one major thing that happened over the last couple of years that's really been bothering me a lot, and I've talked a lot about on the Deconstructor of Fun podcast, is I guess the extent that Apple will go to reinforce their marketing message around privacy. You know, like it's one thing to have a marketing strategy, but it's another thing to literally destroy the entire UA landscape by, you know, almost overnight with their, you know, draconian policies. Um, you know, I, Apple, I've been talking about this for a while, but Apple's been hostile towards gaming ever since the beginning. I just don't think the executives at Apple really particularly like gaming, and they certainly don't like the advertising part of gaming. Um, and and, that, and that, that's part of the reason they're going after Facebook and others. But I really didn't expect them to be this draconian, right? To really dismantle the advertising ecosystem before our eyes um, in order to maintain control of their own platform. I, I get it. I get it from Apple's perspective, but I just didn't realize and, and expect them to be as hostile. So, but we're seeing the you know the impacts of that every day, right? We're watching things like Unity, App Love, and Iron Source get absolutely decimated, right? Um, and yeah, and then we're seeing the impact on Zynga, Stillfront, Platika. Anybody in the space is getting just crushed. And this is not just the economic downturn. This is actually a fundamental problem with UA and everything else. And so that's the first thing that I just didn't think they would go this this bad. It would be this bad, right? Um, but Apple's yeah. done it in the past and, and they'll continue to do it in the future. They protect their own. Um, the other thing, I don't, I don't know if I was off on this, but like the, I guess the one thing that I'm very concerned about and don't really know how to think about it 100% is what the impact of the subscription models are gonna be on the console side, um, you know, Microsoft has always kind of been kind of leading down this 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 road for a while. I don't think Sony will follow. Um, but on the one hand, I see it as a huge value proposition for the customer, no doubt. Right? It is a really really great deal for the customer. That you know, it has the potential of opening up these consoles to a much broader audience, right? And that that's really really good for console. But it also reduces the perceived value of the content that they're providing. 
right? So when you get a subscription for a hundred bucks a year for 200 pieces of content, that implies a 50 cent value for each product, right? I mean, as a saying it very simply, right? Um, so I don't know what it means for the long-term viability of the console generation. Does it mean that it makes it harder for competition to compete as, as Microsoft continues to deliver more content? Um, do third parties have a challenging to compete, particularly games that are competitive what, with what Microsoft offers for free or, for, or as part of the subscription? Like, I think the impacts of that really are, no, are, aren't known at this point and, and, and will be, will, 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 um, uh, will basically manifest themselves over time. And I know that like places like Sony and others are just very concerned about what this actually means for the long-term viability of the console space, but, but we'll, we'll see. That's the one thing that I'm just kind of trying to get my head around these days. Yeah, so uh, I was planning on talking about this later, but I think we can go ahead and pull this part of the conversation up a little bit. And I, I just sort of have a like a random question. Uh, what do you think the the odds are that Game Pass is ever allowed on PlayStation? Or I guess, you know, even before like the PS6 launches or something like that. And let me start with, you know, my quick take that maybe people think I'm crazy for, maybe you think I'm crazy for, but, you know, Game Pass is best served by being literally everywhere. And PlayStation should want to host it because doing so then removes a huge key, maybe number one reason why anyone would ever buy an Xbox. So it should happen, in my opinion. Do you think I'm smart or stupid in, in saying that? Wait, <laughs> you're suggesting that the the Xbox servers should be on the PlayStation console? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah, because Game Pass you know, is best served by having the widest top of funnel. And if PlayStation let it on... Uh, let Xbox Game Pass on PlayStation, then why would anybody buy Xbox if you could just buy PlayStation and get both PlayStation exclusives and Game Pass? You're out of your fucking mind. That's what you're... <laughs> That's never going to happen. That is never going to happen. Not at a Japanese company. There's no way. They're not sharing their platform with a competing platform, period. End of sentence. Not at, not at, not at Nintendo. Not at, Well, Nintendo's different, maybe, but like not at, not in Sony. Now, that will never okay. happen. I, I hear okay. what you. I, had, I, I understand what your point is. I know what you're trying. You're just basically trolling a little bit. But like, I understand the point. But they they will live and die by their content and their console and their ecosystem and their uh, social network. And sharing that with other third parties is just not part of their calculus at all. Now, the the game is changing, right? And this is part of my consternation. Is like, but. But Sony in general has not ever really changed that much over the years. It's really, it's Herculean to change their direction. Hell, they didn't even have any like software as a service developers until they acquired Bungie like six months ago. So it's like, yeah, they move at a glacial pace um, and I don't think they will ever allow Microsoft to be on their platform. Now, the irony is that they are suggesting this on these these calls about act, the Activision acquisition is that that may be the way in which they get around these issues around monopolistic power as they say, hey, Leigh, we're, we're offering Sony the ability to put xCloud on our, our platform and that should alleviate any concern of competitive, uh, anti-competitive issues with Call of Duty or other franchises from Activision. But that is just not something they're going to be willing to do. And ironically, I just talked to my friend at Sony about this yesterday. So I was like, what do you think? And he's like, uh, no, not happening. So <laughs> well, I hear it you. was worth a shot than asking. <laughs> um, 
I, I guess tangential to that, or uh, just related to to Microsoft and and Activision, do you think that are you more or less nervous since that deal announced that it will go through? And like it, and if you are nervous at all, is that because of the regulatory reasons or Microsoft not wanting Activ- Activision anymore? I'm just curious how you're thinking about that. You know, it's a, it's a really complex issue, and I have some ARBs that are that are clients of mine that that have been you know doing with this and the Zynga transaction, et cetera. And uh, so I talk about these issues a lot about what likely could happen. Um, and the way the stock is trading right now, it basically there's a huge contingent of people believe that this deal is not going to go through, right? So um, I was I have up the line that it likely will go through because Microsoft has like basically one bullet in the chamber, and this is the one that they have, and so they're going to go full court and make sure it happens. Um, but this is another one of those subjects that's so complex that it would take me like an hour to like go through all the all the different issues. So I'm not I'm not I'm not going to do that right now. Um, but what I will say is that my conviction level on whether this deal goes through is going down over time because I think there is a chance that North America will use this as an example, right? There, um, of 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 expanding how they perceive anti-competitive behavior on, mm-hmm. on, on the, from the technology stuff, and and even though Microsoft is not as a, a direct target like Facebook or Google or others. I think this might be an example. And then the other thing that I've always been worried about that may or may not manifest itself, it's hard to say, is that generally Europeans don't like Microsoft. Like that, 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 there's a lot of bad blood historically about Microsoft. And so I always thought like the UK would be the one that would block it or you know the EU, some EU entity would block it and that would cause their problem. But it could be a combination of both or it could be one or the other, who knows, right? Um, but I, I think I would give it like a, a maybe a seventy percent chance of getting through, and I was probably more like a ninety percent chance before. So, um, but anyway, that's something I'm kind of looking at closely. And, and, and if anybody's really interested, I can go into the nitty gritty of it. But I'm not going to do that right now. That- yeah, no, that's fine. I yeah, I I guess I would probably lean more towards it's likely, more likely than not, just because regulators would have to really stretch how they define this being monopolistic or anti-competitive at all. And it makes more sense for for them to, you know, put more rules around what would happen with, uh, you know, exclusives with Game Pass and things like that more so than stopping Microsoft from making from making deals. But also, what do I know? And governments are they can do what they want <laughs> in a lot of sense. It don't necessarily have to always make a ton of sense according to us. Um, but anyways, let, let's back up some more. We'll talk about more companies um, later, but I want to talk about some some big picture games industry numbers, which right now are not, they're not awesome. So May 2022, <laughs> we saw the lowest month of consumer spending on video games since February of 2020, so pre-COVID. Um, total video game spending is down about 20% year over year. And even mobile gaming, which has been you know, the number one source of turbocharging the industry over the past decade, um, that segment's been having a pretty hard time too. So Eric, can you help unpack what is going on here? What are the main drivers? And uh, perhaps more interestingly, are there any drivers of this slump that you think are being under-discussed? Well, first of all, the Apple Apple privacy policies impacting the mobile business is by far the biggest impact uh, to the space right now. So mobile year to date is down, I think, like 
12, 13%, according to Sensor Tower. Um, and to put that into perspective, they've been growing at 20% a clip for the last decade, right? So we're talking about a 30% move from where it was over the last 10 years. And so, and, and some people, and I, I did a little bit of analysis on the macro issues in terms of post-COVID, you know, uh, impacts and stuff, but the majority of it, first of all, it has nothing to do with macroeconomics, right? It has nothing to do with recession or people pulling back spend because that's, going forward, right? We're talking about for the first five months of this year, which honestly didn't have any impact on anything to do with the macroeconomic concerns right now. But, but, uh, but there, are, there is some hangover from, from COVID. Uh, I'll admit that to some degree, but the impact is so directly correlated with what Apple's been doing on the privacy side that I, most of it has to do with Apple, right? Um, and so, yeah, and, and that's not changing anytime soon. And if anything, it's gonna get worse, right? So. If they actually start blocking IP tracking and all these, then the, the source of user acquisition goes away. It's going to get worse before it gets a lot better. And so I think Apple privacy is the biggest impact to the business. Um, from the console side, this is just a platform transition problem, right? So we're in the middle of a transition. This is what happens during transition. You have less software. You don't have a lot of availability on hardware. And, and you couple that with the fact that COVID kind of delayed a lot of, uh, of games that were in development, like we're just not seeing enough content to come out. But in the next two years look amazing, right? And, and at the end of this year, we're gonna get the biggest Call of Duty ever. Um, and so that's gonna go into next year and then we're gonna get some really amazing releases. Oh, and God of War is coming. So the, I think the console stuff will fix itself, kind of as I said earlier. Um, but the mo mobile stuff is going to continue to deteriorate uh, because not only are Apple's new policies coming, but Google's policies are going to come into play um, over the next 12 to 18 months as well. So, uh, yeah, I think mobile is kind of in, in, in rough shape right now. Gotcha. So, you know, as we think about the next year, you're basically saying that you feel pretty good about console performing well, more uncertain about mobile, like really, you know, finding its footing until maybe some, you know, more privacy changes occur. No, um, I, I, what I'm saying about mobile is that there's no way they can recover, right? There's no way they can recover to the previous growth rates on mobile for the next couple of years until all this gets sorted out. And even then, if they don't have, if you don't have the ability to target big spenders, it's, it's, th this whole business is, is going to collapse and, and it's, in it's, under its own weight, because most of the game, big big games and big genres that drive the industry in social casino strategy, even puzzle these days is similar, is all driven by UA and direct targeting at whales. And like, if you can't do that, <laughs> you know, it, 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 there's just no way for that to, to, to get that type of growth. It's gonna go more casual, sorry, we're gonna get to this later, but it's, it's just not, it's gonna be a different business uh, going forward. Um, and people need to adjust to that, that new world right. order. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, there's also a lot of talk right now about, you know, probably being in a recession. Um, and, you know, we we talked about a lot of down numbers, not all of that. Most of that is because of macro um, factors. And it's, it is pretty commonly believed that gaming is pretty recession resistant. But I'm curious, how how do you think this recession probably is going to be different from previous ones? After all, you know, last time mobile gaming was barely a thing free to play was barely a thing um you know platforms weren't competing on subscriptions uh you know previous recessions like 
how could these new factors just change what how a recession plays out in the games industry? Yeah, I, I, I generally speaking, the reason that I think um, console and gaming has been recession proof over the past two recessions is because this is a core demographic of 18 to 44 year old males. If they play Madden, they're going to buy Madden every year. They don't care. They get a lot of value for their for their purchases and they're diehards and they're going to keep playing. Right. Uh, FIFA, same thing. Right. And so I don't think that calculus really changes. If you're a FIFA fan, you're going to buy FIFA. Right. And and both Madden and FIFA always tend to grow or basically flatline during these recession periods as well, just as, as an, specific examples. And again, console generations are based upon uh, based upon the uh, the platform transitions, you know. So the up 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 upgrade to the next cycle. So the, the cycle driven, not not macro driven. The difference between this cycle and last cycle and the last cycle before that is that we now have software as a service. So software as a service may actually be impacted potentially by recession. So. You can buy the main game for FIFA, but are you going to spend as much on Ultimate Team this year, given macro concerns, right? Or you know, risk of losing your job? I still don't really think that that is necessarily very elastic spend. I think people spend money on this stuff because it's their hobby, right? Um, but that leads you to the, the the mobile problem, right? So mobile is software as a service by definition, right? So ongoing spend, continual spend over time, you know, with whale-driven spend as well, and so. And again, this gets very complicated as well. So if you believe, like I do, that the majority of the spend in this business is driven by whales, how sensitive are they to macroeconomic concerns, right? So if you're spending $100,000 on a strategy game in a year, right, are you going to spend 20% less? <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, it's hard to say. That's, it's really hard to say. I would say that they probably are less, less willing or less impacted by macroeconomic concerns, but I could be wrong on that. I don't know. And maybe on the margin, you see lower level spenders leave the market and stop spending. But, um, but to, that, to that degree, I think obviously mobile has more at risk than, than console because even though it is a big part of the console spend, it's not the majority. Um, the majority is hardware and, and full game software. Um, so if that was clear, let me know. But if not, uh, I can explain further. I just... With software as a service, it does change the calculus a little bit, and, and that's kind of what I'm going to be watching. But as in terms of like the core console business, I'm not too worried. Um, and mobile business is like I think the impact of IDFA and Apple's transgressions is more of a concern than macro, generally speaking. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Basically, you're saying on average, the companies that already have the pretty strong footing in terms of tailwinds like the console companies and main players in that space will probably be less affected by macro issues <laughs> whereas the companies that are already on weaker footing might also be the ones that get impacted a bit more by macro factors although a little tbd on how elastic or inelastic that spend is is yeah. that does that sum it up well? That, that sums it up, and, and then there's also the idea of that marketing spend, right? You know, the budgets right. may come down, and so like new games and new entrances in the market is going to challenge. But companies like King, for instance, like they got nothing to worry about, right? They're entrenched in the market. They have an audience that absolutely loves them. Um, they they don't even do UA anymore, right? So they're not impacted by Apple at all, right? And so they're banking on advertising. So they got nothing to worry about, right? I don't think EA right. has anything to worry about Madden and FIFA, right? But if uh, if you're 
you know, a new company that's coming out with a, a new strategy game, good luck, right? Like that's impossible. Or a new casino game. Like in this market, you're never going to make your money back, right? Um, yep. So. Makes sense. Um, how do you think about M&A in the next couple of years related to all of this? Like, how do you think it's going to look similar or different to what we've seen in the past couple of years? And I guess like the most obvious question of this is like, are we still in an environment where big deals like Microsoft buying Activision or Take-Two acquiring Zynga could still happen? Or is that that mostly behind us at this point? I think the mega deals are behind us at this point given where valuations are. You know, I don't think like Disney, for instance, is in any position to do an acquisition of $60 billion for EA or something stupid. Um, you know, Microsoft, like I said earlier, you know, they have one bullet in the chamber, right? They can't do another big acquisition or they will get <laughs> scrutinized by every government in the whole free world, right? Um, right. So, and then the question is like, what other companies are left that could do these big transactions, right? And the Asian companies are out, right? Because they can't do any transactions right now, given all the 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 the, the uh, regulation and and scrutiny that's going on. Like, I'm sure they want to, but you know, Tencent's like sitting on their hands right now. They can't do anything because of all this these issues. But they would be a be a concern going forward potentially. Amazon has always been one, but they also have a lot of scrutiny on them as well. But Amazon is the is the one like last uh, company that I, I worry about, not worry about, but that could do a big transactions. But from my perspective, I don't think we see any big transactions. Take Two is going to stay independent. EA is going to stay independent. Ubisoft should be sold because they don't know how to manage that. They're money managing that company in the ground. Um, so something should happen with Ubisoft, but I wouldn't consider that a big loss uh, or a big big acquisition relatively anyway. Mm. Um, uh, today, today we we saw as of you know recording, um, Playtica is getting majority bought by a private equity firm. Do you think I, that trend is going to stick, or is this more of a? I think that's one-off? a fake. I think that's kind of fake news. It doesn't make sense, honestly, okay. because the stock is down five percent. Like if they were buying it for twenty one dollars a share, why is the stock at thirteen dollars and fifty cents? Right. There's some th- something uh, off on that whole announcement. Um, uh, okay. Well, shame on me for just reading the headline. Um, but you're not the okay, only one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm curious. Do you have any updated views on like the serial acquirer companies? I know you've been um, critical <laughs> of the strategies of you know Stillfront, Embracer, those types of companies. So I'm curious. That they've obviously been crushed. You were right. Do you still maintain? you know, the same, uh, you know, mindset you had before. And I'm curious, like, what would you have to see from these companies to to change your mind and actually like what you see from them? Look, the fundamental issue with these companies is organic growth. So if you actually see organic growth in which teams that they've acquired build games that grow their overall business outside of the companies that they're acquiring, that's what I need to see, right? But particularly Stillfront, who I love. Like those guys are really, really nice guys. I mean, Alexis has been on the podcast. Like, you know, I don't, I have nothing bad to say about the people per se, but the strategy doesn't make sense from particularly given the environment that we're in. Like Apple is basically destroyed like every avenue of, of UA growth and, and, and building an, building a, confederate of, of studios that have no centralized services to really leverage is, just not a good strategy in this environment. And it wasn't a good strategy even before Apple started their 
their uh, their march against publishing, right? Um, so so anyway, no, I, I need to see organic growth. I just don't think that they Stillfront in particular acquired many teams that are capable of building new games in this in this new world order. Um, Embracer is a little bit more unique, but they have some other challenges of their own. But it's for the same reasons, right? Embracer. <laughs> They have some of their biggest AAA launches coming up, right? They have uh, Saints Row as well as Dead Island, which may or may never come out. I don't know. But those games have been in development so long, even if they do like five to eight million units, I doubt it's actually profitable when the numbers come out, right? Um, and, and they may actually do okay, right? And that will be considered organic growth. But that's it, right? They say that they have like 50 AAA games, but the only AAA franchises they really have are those two. So... I don't know what what they do. So these type of deals, these type of uh, uh, consolidators are are going to collapse upon themselves because what happens is once they realize these companies realize that they can't hit their earnout targets, they're going to leave, and they're going to and they're they're going to create their own new companies that are going to get funded by all this VC money that's out there. Um, and 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 again, back to the original point, with no real benefits of scale in terms of like traditional services and management and, 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 and portfolio management. It's just really hard to do this. Um, but right. you know, yeah, we'll see. Maybe, maybe, maybe these teams come out with some amazing hit, right. That, that kind of blow my, blow my mind. Right. I, you know, it's possible, right. Yeah, but, it's uh, possible, but it's very I, unlikely yeah, I, in this mature environment. Yeah. I think I agree with you. Um, Stillfront, I mean, they are trying things like they have their game engine strategy where studios can build off of other teams game engines to save money, but that doesn't necessarily lead to solve anything when it comes to UA or anything like that to really spur on organic growth and Embracer, uh, they've had negative organic growth recently because of lapping Valheim. And if you're lapping Valheim and have negative organic growth. Probably your AAA strategy isn't clicking <laughs> as much as you want. Well, um, yeah, and, and you know, it's uh, like, like Valheim's a great example, right? Valheim was an amazing hit that for mm -hmm. lasted for like maybe like three weeks, <laughs> okay? So, um, it, it, and you compare that to Apex, and this is maybe an unfair comparison to some degree, but let, let, let me just play this out. So Valheim was just, lightning in a bottle and it was amazing, but there was no support for this game because the studio wasn't big enough and they didn't have the resources to dedicate it to keep the game going. And so it died as quickly as it came, right? Versus when Apex came out, it was the exact same problem, right? They didn't have the resources. EA barely got this thing game out, right? But once they saw that it had some traction, dude, they were drop shipping people from like everywhere to make sure that this game was like, they, they maintained and supported it with content and whatever. They had the infrastructure and the bodies at EA just to just throw as much as they could at it to make it work. And, and obviously they had an amazing leader and lots of centralized services. They had research guys coming in. They had, you know, they had everything to help support this game. And it made the, it, the hit that it is today where it does like 300 to 400 million dollars a year, right? Dude, Embracer is still front. They don't have any of that. None of that. None of that, right? To support any type of success in their ecosystem, right? And so this is the challenge, right? You need these centralized services exist for a reason, you know, and, and the centralized management exists for a reason. You know, having leadership like um, uh, Vince Sempella to, to, to allocate resources to these type of things, like you need bodies like that to like manage these egos and, and these processes and these, 
that's the business, right? And so Lars, who's an amazing M&A guy at Embracer, he doesn't know anything about this stuff, right? Nothing. He doesn't know anything about running a video game company. And I don't know if he's even hired people to do that. And the other thing with Embracer, as I can continue to go on forever on this, is that they have all these constituents that are doing distribution that are are fighting with each other, right? They 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 they, they have the opposite of a cohesive distribution strategy because they've hired all these disparate groups that are that are that are that are trying to sell product, right? It's it's a train wreck waiting to happen. And what I'm hearing is that a lot of people that can't get their earnouts done are leaving already, right? So big teams are, are starting to bail. And and that does not bode well for the organic growth that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, that's a red flag. But okay, uh, <laughs> one more one more big picture question, and then I'll let's talk about a few more companies. Um, so the stock market is down, um, especially growth stocks, from its highs quite a bit, and a lot of gaming companies are right there with it, some more than others. Um, and I have a feeling that we are pretty aligned that valuations at large were pretty wacky there for a while. But I'm curious how you're feeling about the general state of market valuations now when it comes to gaming companies. Not asking you about any specific stock or you know what you'd buy or sell, but just as an investor analyst, uh, like, are you excited about what you see yet as a buyer? Or how much more red would you have to see to get excited from here? Well, I mean, I think the traditional game companies have done quite well in this downturn, first of all. So they have not seen this big correction that you saw in the rest of kind of the more speculative names in the NASDAQ, right? So EA, Take-Two, Nintendo, Activision, even Ubisoft, which you know, run rumors of, of acquisition, which probably keep that stock artificially higher. But so anyway, I think they've yeah, done well. they crushed anyways. <laughs> yeah, they had already been crushed beforehand because the business is just so shitty right now for them. But um, but the more speculative names like Roblox, AppLove and Skills, Iron Source, Unity, uh, just have gotten absolutely annihilated, destroyed, you know, 60, 70, 80% down, right? Uh, but their valuations were ridiculous, right? I said in the podcast, like Unity was trading at like, I don't know, like 30 times revenue. Like for what? You know, like it's obscene, right? And and they were being traded as like a software as a SaaS company, right? Software as a service company. But I mean, their their engine business is definitely software as a service. But I would say that ad tech is not software as a service, right? You don't control your own platform um, because you're at the mercy of Apple and Google. And that's exactly what's happened is Apple's just destroyed their business, right? Um, and, the, and the second thing is that they, there's, there's, so, there's no switching costs, right? So if, if app level in your Unity is not working, you go to Facebook or IronSource, right? There's, that, like, there's no loyalty there, right? Like UA people are smart, right? If they go where the returns are, right? So anyway, it's not a software as a service. So they pitched something that just didn't exist and that was driving me insane, particularly Unity. I mean, JR is a genius, fucking genius, that guy in, as a salesman. But... Um, but that, that that doesn't last, right? Um, so what was your question? Oh, so I think, I, I do think that the, the traditional companies are in far better shape to execute against this next uh, console generation and, 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 and navigate the choppy waters of mobile. Um, uh, but I think that mobile is always gonna be the, the real problem sucking sound like Zynga and, and Glue, for instance, are just a train wreck right now. Um, but uh, but I think the valuations could come down still for both App Levin, you know, all these speculative names still because they still think they're trading it at, at premiums to the traditional guys, and they don't make money or they don't make as much money. Um, so, 
Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Let's uh, switch gears, talk about a few more companies, um, and then we can go ahead and wrap up. I'm curious uh, to hear your updated views on Nintendo, which as a company, at least in like, you know, the business of gaming circles seems to get less attention and discussion these days. But uh, I'm curious, like, how pleased are you uh, with how Nintendo is positioned right now? Last time we talked, you were optimistic about their digital strategy. So I'm curious if you still still think that way or if you've changed your mind on anything? Well, I, I think the big difference, I, I've actually never been a real fan of Nintendo or, or how they run their business, frankly. Um, um, but I think the Switch generations kind of like changed me a bit because I think the big thing that people either realize or don't realize is that their biggest, one of their biggest challenges is that we're always focusing on two platforms, a handheld and a console. Now all their focus is on one platform and that should continue indefinitely, right? So basically the switch is it. So all their development resources are geared towards one platform, which is freaking awesome. Like that, that's, that's the way it should have been. It's huge, yeah. <laughs> um, and the other thing is that uh, the reason I'm still bullish on Nintendo is that they look like they are doing an Apple strategy where they're basically just gonna do upgrade the switch console um, to better and better specs and then build the software to be compa backwards compatible as well as compatible with the new platforms. And that'll evolve over time, right? And if they maintain this, um, uh, these de this device and this, this form factor and controls, that makes it much easier for every transition. Because before, historically, every time they come out with a new console, they'd have to start up from zero, right? right? And, and, and that's hard, right? So I still like that. And then what you're talking about before is they also have tons of, of runway for digital because they're still like in its, their infancy in terms of taking advantage of software of the services and, and, and even, even digital downloads, right? Um, uh, which they are definitely improving uh, over the last like few years since we spoke. It's like, I think it went from like, maybe like 10 to 15% to like 30% over that time period. Um, so they still have room to grow because I think consoles in general are maybe more like 50 to 60% um, on PlayStation Microsoft, and Sony. So yeah, there's a lot of digital tailwinds there. Um, they just need to keep up the software um, and, and build the right type of hardware. And I think they, they have a very, very, very solid footing, solid place in the industry. So I still do like- gotcha. Yeah, yeah. One one thing you said I want to double click on a little bit. I've always viewed the largest risk with Nintendo, at least historically, the you know, the risk of whatever the next hardware cycle is going to be, where, you know, they'll come off of something great like the Wii that sells really well. Um, and then they come out with the Wii U, which flops. So are you basically saying that the boom and bust hardware cycle for Nintendo might be over and they're switching much more to like, okay, the switch, this form factor, like this is theirs for the long term. And they're just going to continue iterating on it and improving it new, you know, different versions. Um, and they're basically removing that key risk from Nintendo's business. Is that what you're That's thinking? exactly what, that is exactly what I've been saying for the last like three years, right? That since the switch came out, that seems to be their strategy. They've kind of not articulated it specifically this way, but they've said a lot of different things that make me believe that that is their strategy going forward. Now, if they come out with another device that's console only or handheld only or something completely off the reservation with a new media or whatever, then they're morons, right? They're, they're, that's not the right strategy that I would place. They're not morons, but you know what I'm saying? Like that's a moronic thing to do, right? At this stage, 
Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't look like that's what they're planning on doing at this stage. And they're broadening out their IP to like amusement parks, movies, television. Like they're really focusing on building their brand even more so than before. Um, and the new management just seems to be much more open to that kind of um, activities, which is great. Right. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about Take Two, uh, which Ugh. just acquired Zynga. Um, so I'm curious first, how are you going to judge whether this was a successful acquisition or not? Like, like what metrics, people, structure changes are you looking at and would be happy or upset about? Or do you already think that it's a good or bad deal? No, I already think it's a bad deal from the, from the get-go, right? Um, and, and I guess all you really need to do is look at what happened with Glue, right? With EA, right? They acquired it not for like the highest price possible, but they hired pretty freaking higher price. And now that revenue is deteriorated like like 40%. Like I've never seen a acquisition that has deteriorated as fast as this glue acquisition. Like it is unbelievable, unbelievable. Like they clearly did not do the right things in terms of making sure that existing people stayed and ensure that like the spending continued or they didn't do the right diligence on these, these, these games to know that they were not spending profitably. There was all kinds of things must have broken down to see this level of, of underperformance for an asset that they acquired for such an insane amount of money, right? Take two promise that this thing would be growing at 11% CAGR for the next three years, right? And so they reported their first quarter earnings before they were acquired and they were down 5%, right? In terms of earnings. So they, they are already in the hole 16% and they haven't even been acquired yet, right? Which is unbelievable. Like all they have to do is keep the wheels on for this acquisition to get closed and and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. Their advertising revenue looked great, but their in-app purchases was down 12%. And if you look at the data from a sensor tower, it's not getting any better, right? And so my thinking is that they're gonna be down at least 15%, probably 12 to 15% for the year on in-app purchases. And then their advertising will help, help like kind of eliminate a lot of that, but they're still gonna be down, you know, like high single digits, right? And so that means it's not only that they're down 8%, but they're down the 11% as well that they promised from this business. So, okay. So that means they're down in a hole of like 15 to 20%, like just from the get-go, right? And it's crazy. It is crazy. And they, and again, they have no capability of making new games. There's a reason that this thing was at $6 before they got acquired, right? Because they, everyone saw the writing on the wall. Like there was nothing There was nothing left in the, ga, in the gas tank, right? So uh, the fact that Take-Two acquired this thing for 40% of their company is insane, is insane. And I don't like this deal at all because Take-Two is a standalone company I'm very excited about because all they have to do is announce the next GTA and, and we're off to the races. And they all, you know, they have NBA 2K and they have like Bioshock coming and, and they're doing some really cool stuff around other indie shit, right? And I, 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 like, the, I like the way they're headed. But here's my fundamental problem. I believe fundamentally that Strauss was more working on ego than he was working on the reality of what he was acquiring. I, I fundamentally- Empire building? What? Yeah, he's empire, empire building. And that's what he's been doing his entire career. And he's done an exceptional job. But what I, I think happened in this case, I don't think he understands this business. He does not understand the the nature of, of, of free to play, the nature of mobile, the real, real, challenges ahead of them from a UA perspective and Apple's transgressions, et cetera. And, 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 and I think he just got a bill of goods that he just was not, d- didn't understand. 
right? Or the people around him didn't make him understand it better, right? In terms of what the risks were to this transaction. And, 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 I, and I, I think that will manifest itself, um, you know, as he tries to explain why this business is not growing the way he suggested during, during the, uh, the sales process of the deal. Um, it was a dumb deal is what I'm trying to say. It was a dumb deal for a lot of money, a lot of, uh, of, of share, and it's, it was really disappointing um, from my perspective. Okay, let's hit on two more companies pretty quickly, and then we can wrap up. So um, EA, you've you've mentioned them. Obviously, you know you look at the numbers; they're a really solid business, generate a ton of money. But as you've mentioned, with mobile, especially with the acquisition of Glue, they've been struggling a bit more. So my question is, you know, if you could call up Andrew Wilson and give him your your top advice for like, you know, what the largest opportunity is they need to tackle, what the largest issue is that they need to cut, what would you say? I, well, the first thing I would say is Andrew needs to resign or become chairman, right? I think Laura Miella needs to take over. Um, I'm a huge fan of both Laura and Vince, and I think they can manage this company into the next, you know, the next uh, evolutions, right? Um, the uh, I I just like I like what Laura's doing. I like the way you know Vince has been managed his studios. I think they have an amazing pipeline um, of of AAA products that are coming. Um, and I think when Laura takes over as CEO, I think we'll see again, the next level up for, uh, EA. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what EA has for this next generation. Okay, cool. Um, how about Roblox? So, you know, valuation and, you know, whiplashy, you know, growth aside, um, you know, personally, I've been pretty impressed by what they're building and how they ship new functionality and how it's leading to deeper competitive advantages. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, you know, looking out, you know, five years or so, do you do you view Roblox as a bigger force in the games industry with, you know, still pretty limited competition? Or do you think that, you know, both it'll never really be able to break out of its, you know, its aging up issues or that, you know, others, whatever Epic or Facebook or whoever is working on could, you know, chip away at what makes Roblox special today? You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Roblox. I think it's an amazing company. And I would recommend anybody that wants to get involved with like metaverse type companies to go work there. And I have friends that have gone to work there recently that, that I, I would recommend to go there. I think they're really, really smart and really interesting. Um, the issue that I've had with Roblox all along um, from the very beginning, honestly, um, was that they just can't, it's gonna be really hard for them to grow. I mean, I think, I think this was a perfect storm for them during COVID. Um, their expansion onto uh, mobile. And if you just look at the data, it's really, really not that complicated, is that it was absolutely impossible for them to grow in 2022, right? Because they're expanding in markets that don't make as much money, right? And we've been dealing with this with mobile my entire career. It's like, yeah, US and tier one English countries are where all the money is made. The minute you go out there, you make less money. And so they're basically spending more in marketing to make less. Um, and that is not a good place to be right now. And meanwhile, their monetization is not improving all that dramatically in 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 the in the tier one English countries that they are that they that fuel most of their revenue. So, I think I was the only one with a negative thesis last year on this name. But like, I, and I didn't look very smart. The stock kept going up, and I'm like, dude, this is impossible. Like, there's just no way they can grow, right? But um, but now, like, we're starting to see the evidence there. And they're not going to be as impacted by um, Apple, but but 
you know, to some degree they will in terms of expanding outside of, uh, of their existing in install base. So anyway, the fundamental problem and the reason that they're still overvalued is that they need to grow demographic and they need to go grow geographic, right? They've been trying the geographic growth for like the last six months to a year and that's not working because they're not monetizing as well and they're not getting the right type of consumers. So their DAU, MAUs are going up and their DA, revenue per DAU and MAU is going down, not good, right? And then demographic, they need to expand the audience, right? They need to expand it to improve monetization, right? And, they're not, and they say that they're doing it, but it, there's no evidence that they are doing it, right? And I, and I just think that Roblox as a brand is gonna be tough because I think it's, it, is a, it is a kid's brand. It's not something that's cool for teenagers or older to play and do. And the content's not there, and, and, and the way their ecosystem is set up is not there to support better developers. So I think the demographics change. And then, then you have competitors coming, right? Like Epic is coming big this year, right? They're going to come out with their tools and technologies. They're going to start bringing in you know, big developers, and that's going to move people away from Roblox because they're... Um, uh, Sorry, their, their, their royalties are much better. Like it's a much better deal for developers, particularly AAAs or bigger developers. So um, I, I, again, they have a lot of challenges ahead of them. Are they going to go away? No, I think they're going to be a, a great business and a great kids business. Um, and then, gotcha. you know, the final point I make and the point that I really made last year that, that resonated with a lot of people is that the, the one thing that they, they challenge is that like it is, it is culturally not acceptable to pay a subscription revenue for a game for an eight-year-old, right? Like in the U.S., I don't think parents as, on, as a whole give a shit, right? They, they'll do anything to keep their kids busy, right? But if you go to fucking the, 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 the Eastern European countries or Norwegian countries or China, Japan, Korea, there is no effing way the parents are going to spend money for allow them to play games when they're six and seven years old, right? So. It, it's a cultural issue, right? And, and it, that doesn't change overnight, right? And, and, and I think people didn't appreciate that when they're talking about expanding in China. Are you kidding me? China is like legislating against kids playing games. You're gonna send them a, a, a service that is catering towards games? No way that's gonna work, right? Not to mention there's like three or four other competitors that are going for the same market that are China born, right? So anyway, I, all that didn't, none of that, make, none of that makes sense, right? Um, now, and I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from the, the amazingness of their platform and how that he's built it over time. I, I, I'm not saying that, right? I'm just saying growing is going to be really, really hard. So anyway, there we go. Yeah, just to double click quickly into something there. I am curious what you think about competition because um, right now Roblox is kind of the only player that really does what they do well. Um, but you mentioned Epic, you know, working on things, you know, maybe related to, you know, Fortnite or, you know, they announced their Lego um, initiative, um, you know, Manticore is out there. Meta just acquired, I forget the name of the company, but they make Krata, which my guess is just, you know, they they would have tried buying Roblox if they could, but they couldn't. So they just, you know, they're going this other direction. Um, but do you think like this ultimately is a market where like the network effects at play, like really keep it towards like very, very few companies? Um, or do you think this is a market where there actually could be more UGC driven companies out there that kind of carve different markets and it it's just harder that that user acquisition and like uh, retention problem becomes even harder in the future? Um, 
again, that's a really hard question to unpack in like a few minutes, but like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. My, 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 my fundamental thing with, with quote unquote, the metaverse is that we are, it's just a series of different metaverses, right? I would argue that World of Warcraft is a metaverse. Roblox is a metaverse. You know, Fortnite is a metaverse in its infancy, right? Potentially to grow. You know, the, the real question is the interoperability between each of these metaverses and transitioning different items and and things to one thing to another, right? And so there's this new initiative that's being done, and I'm totally forgetting it what it is. It basically it's the meta consortium or something like that that just they just announced something recently. And I think that's like the step in the right direction to make things ubiquitous to some degree, right? Whether you're earning it in one, you're in a skin in Fortnite and you could bring it to Call of Duty, like that kind of notion, which I think yeah. is total horseshit, right? At least initially, but that that's like kind of where we're headed. But I don't think it's going to be one metaverse as I guess I think you're answering. I think it's going to be a multitude of, of different metaverses that are built around different interests and 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 different types of games and 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 that's what makes it exciting it's because there's gonna be something for everybody you know and obviously facebook's gonna have its thing you know like they're spending so much money um and i you know i i am not bullish on vr at all actually i think vr and and cloud gaming are the most ridiculous um things going on in gaming right now uh which is another subject but um but I do think that they will be a player in that space and they, they'll make a lot of effort and spend a lot of money to make sure that it, it, it happens right um, mm -hmm. in one way or another. So, um, all right. Um, wrapping up, uh, could you leave us with a games industry prediction or two for the next three to five years? Maybe something we haven't discussed yet. I would say, I would say, okay, from, from a mobile perspective, and this may be important to those that are still a mobile um, and build, building games for mobile, we are going to see a fundamental shift from the traditional trip, uh, uh, traditional core games to more of a casual type game, right? Given given the issues around uh, of, of attracting that those type of uh, you know the whale type economies, right? So stay away from uh, you know core games like strategy games, stay away from social casino, right? And, and focus more on the casual games with ice, I, I, you know, licensed or IP that's like more broadly interesting. And, and, and you gotta know what customers you can reach now and give them what they want, right? That's like a key kind of aspect of what's gonna go, how it's gonna be evolved on mobile, right? Um, I do believe that the market for VR is nascent and not going to improve anytime soon, despite the fact that we know the Quest 2 has done extremely well for Facebook. We already saw them start to bring down guidance for, 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 the, for this year. I just think it was, a, it was also a COVID-related thing. So VR is going to be nascent for the next five to 10 years, in my opinion. I just don't think it's going to be a, a real value market, no matter what Facebook does, right? They just, it's just, there's lots of reasons, but I'm not going to go into them right now. Um, but I do think that the metaverse and, and we're going to see in the next three to five years, the birth of really amazing experiences in the kind of metaverse type thing, whether it's Epic, even Roblox potentially, um, or other, other games that kind of take advantage of the social aspects of quote unquote, the metaverse. I think that's going to be the, like the, the really cool things that we see in the next three to five years from an innovation perspective. Um, so I don't know, those are the three quick things that I can think of. Awesome. I'll take it. Um, and then very lastly, uh, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? I recommend 
listening to the podcast, uh, Deconstructor of Fun, we do This Week in Gaming Twig, which uh, basically goes over the news of the week every every week um, with, you know, we have three or four get, uh, uh, hosts there that are experts in their fields. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach reach me on LinkedIn and ask me any questions, feel free, um, you know, send out some hate too, because I have very strong opinions on things. If you don't, if you disagree, that helps my process. So, uh, you know, be sure, tell me when I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn, I'm always on LinkedIn. I do not do Twitter because I'm old, but, uh, and I, and I, and I, I I'm too obsessive, right? I think I, I would lose my life if I was on Twitter all the time <laughs> and probably get myself awesome. in a lot of trouble. <laughs> well, so. Well, great. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And Eric, thank you so much for joining and sharing your insights. Hey, it was also great thanks, catching Aaron. up. Yeah, good luck with and Mavic. To, awesome. And to all of our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to give us a like, subscribe, five stars. It would mean a lot. Also, make sure to check out our free newsletter, Novic Digest. And if you want extra premium research like weekly game deconstructions and market updates, check out Novic Pro. Links and discount codes for all of that, as well as Eric's Gossamer Consulting Group, um, are in the description. Thanks for watching and we'll catch you next time.